Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. One of the things that I would also tell all the best ever listeners is that real estate is about timing. You can call a guy for years and he's just not ready to sell. And then something bad happens in the building and he's like, and I'm done. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to mention Trevor McGregor. Trevor is a real estate results coach. I've been paying him and working with him for years now. He actually is responsible for giving me the idea to do a podcast. So it's not only about transactions that he gives advice on, how to find more deals, how to make more money, but also how to build a holistic plan around your real estate entrepreneurship endeavors. That's what I love about working with Trevor, that and being held accountable for what I say I'm going to do and actually making sure that I follow through and do it. I feel like I'm a pretty results-oriented, accountable kind of person. But it's always nice to have someone who's there guiding you along the way and giving you strategy as well as psychology tips for how to deal with, you know, the things that come up as a real estate entrepreneur. Trevor has made a wonderful offer for the best ever listeners, and that is that he's offering a free coaching session. Go to coachwithtrevor.com. That's C-O-A-C-H-W-I-T-H-T-R-E-V-O-R.com. Highly recommend him. I've worked with him before. I'm currently working with him right now as my business, as my real estate investing coach. Highly recommend you do the same. Take him up on his offer. Get a free coaching session, coachwithtrevor.com. Best ever listeners, hello, hello. How you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairlison. We're not going to talk about any of that fluffy stuff. We're going to get straight to the real estate advice that moves your business forward. We've spoken to Robert Kiyosaki, Barbara Corcoran. Tom Wheelwright, Robert Kiyosaki, CPA. Go listen to that episode if you haven't already. It's great on 1031 Exchange Tips. And uh, Jay Papazon, the co-author of The One Thing with Gary Keller and many other best ever guests. With us today, we've got Josh Jowley. How you doing, Josh? Not too bad. How are you, Joe? I'm doing well, my friend. And thank you for being on the show and looking forward to it. A little bit about Josh and then he'll get into it. He's a 28-year-old commercial real estate agent focused on multifamily properties in the New York metro area. And that's because he's based in Manhattan. So New York City, New York. He is also an investor and has raised over $1 million to purchase his first 30-unit deal valued at $3.5 million with a close date in about four months or so. He's additionally raising money for his first distressed debt fund 
And you can say hi to him at multifamilyny.com. With that being said, Josh, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. Uh, Again, Joe, thanks for having me. I went to college at uh, SUNY Albany. I majored in economics. And after college, I worked at an e-commerce company. Left that for another job, but I was just getting kind of frustrated with the slow progress of how I was going. Everyone I saw in sales, they actually had the opportunity. They might have done poorly for a couple of years, but then they can skyrocket their income. And I was always a hard worker at my job, and I found it just very boring. I also always knew I wanted to invest in real estate, but I thought I would make money in a job or something or some business I created and then invest in real estate. It hit me one day that I could sell real estate to make money to buy in real estate. So got my license. Uh, I worked for a while as a residential broker, but probably after my 20 or 30th single family home showing where someone's complaining that they don't know if they want to buy the house because they don't like the color of the kitchen and, you know, (laughs) taking all of my willpower to not scream at them that you're buying, you know, a half million dollar house. Like I'll buy you a can of paint. Like, you know, (laughs) it's it's not the end of the world. (laughs) I realized that, you know, I always wanted to buy multifamily. I'd been reading about it in college. My roommate's dad owned 85 properties, so I knew a lot about it. And I said, you know what? Forget this. I moved into commercial brokerage uh, around 18 months ago and haven't looked back. How long were you in residential? I was probably in residential for a year, year and a half. And I was doing a lot of rentals just for like income. And, And I'm kind of a good schmoozer with people and stuff like that, but it just... It's such a personal thing when someone's selling a, a single-family home. They they don't want to hear the real numbers because they raised their kids there or it was a family home or something to that effect. And if someone wants to buy it, it it's not as black and white as you can tell a lot of guys, listen, this building's burned out. It's a piece of crap. It's 30 units. An investor will say, I'll pay cash tomorrow, you know? And vice versa, when you're, when you're talking to an investor, you can give him a realistic number and he can run it and look at it and say, you know, that makes sense. Whereas... You can't really quantify someone when you're telling them their house is worth three hundred thousand dollars. It's tough to face them when they thought it was worth four fifty because they have such fond memories of their kids walking there. To me, that's just a tough situation. Can't quantify love, can you? Yeah, exactly. Exactly, <laughs> it makes it a lot more difficult. You've been in commercial real estate for did I, did I hear it correctly? Eighteen months. Eighteen months right now. Yep. Okay, eighteen months now. You have two transactions that I'd like to talk about in detail. The first is the 30 unit, and then the second is the distressed debt fund. First, let's talk about 30 unit. And about how many months from now is it scheduled to close? That one we're going to close probably in, I'd say, mid-June, late June. Um, The reason is the guy's 85, and although I've gotten him to the point of you know, us having a contract and stuff like that. It's just, there was a fire in the building. There's some stuff he's dealing with and with the insurance and getting back rents paid back to him. And it's also just, it's one of those things where this sounds kind of crude. If he was 35, I'd bully him a little bit to speed this up. He's an 85 year old guy. He's holding the note on it. Him and I have developed a a really good rapport. I, I know a lot about his life. So it's not something that I'm really kind of getting super aggressive on him because otherwise I would like to close it as quick as possible because the quicker I can close it quicker I can start doing unit turns when people move out or stuff like that um start rehabbing what I can and just getting my sinking my teeth into it but it's uh it's just something that I'm giving him 
kind of a longer runway because of the fact that he's still attached to it. He's he's a weird situation in commercial real estate. He built this in the '60s. He lived there. His daughter was born there, so it's it has an attachment to him, you know, in the same way that a single family house has an attachment to other people. Is it under contract right yeah, now? Yes, under contract right now, but. We have a closing date in June, but even if he wanted to go a little bit further, I'd give him an extension just because the guy is going to sell. He's sick of being a landlord. His words exactly where I've been doing this for 50 years. I think I'm done now. So uh, I'll give him an extension, but it is scheduled to close around June. But the fact is we've had it under contract for like a month now, and he's holding the note. We could have closed this in 30 days, but he's attached to it. He wants to go through his own process. Right. So I wasn't really going to bully you know, an elderly gentleman to – get my deal done quicker because I'm, I want to do it. Is your earnest money at risk? Uh, no. Can you explain the mechanics behind that? Sure. Uh, this is a totally off-market deal I sourced on my own. We've signed the contract, but if for some reason I came up with a slew of different things, including the fact that if he decided he didn't want to hold a note, I can get my earnest money back. We have a bunch of different contingencies. My girlfriend's uh, family, who are the ones putting up the equity, because I got, we'll talk about the buyout I got for them. Her mom's a lawyer, so lawyers are pretty crafty with giving various different ways on how we could get out if something were to go wrong. We're under contract, but our money's not hard. It's not hard until, I think, mid to end of May. Okay. And that's contingent upon him scheduling the closing date as well. You mentioned it's an off-market deal. How did you find it? This was a deal um, – well, in the commercial world, like you just – one of the difficult things you got to do in the beginning is because people are hidden behind LLCs and then they have the managing agents and then they have their attorneys or where they often get direct mail. It takes a lot of due diligence. But when I found this guy and I saw that one of the things I had focused on are out-of-state owners but also ones that are non-institutional. So I saw this guy lived in California – where I am is, is a suburb of New York is where this building is. And I just found that a little bit strange. So I just literally I'd sent him I'd, – I'd written up kind of um, – how do I say it? A, a lead magnet, if you will, if you know what I'm talking about. Will you explain it sure. and what it, what it says? Sure. A lead magnet is just a, a short, let's say, PDF guide that is the way to kind of bribe someone to give you their email address, their phone number, etc., so the lead magnet I'd written, it looks kind of like a dummy's guide. And it's just how to sell your apartment building for smarties. And in the book, <laughs> it just explains all the different ways that you value a property. It uh, tells you how you would get top dollar, how to use it, how to do a 1031 exchange. All of this in very basic terms. The whole book's like 35 pages and it looks kind of like a playbill size. But what it is, is it's a very soft sell. It has a... Uh, very long shelf life. People don't throw it away like they do a postcard or something like that. And it's one of those things where it, it will warm up a call before you actually pick up the phone. So I'd sent him one of these. I didn't get any response. I called him like a month later. We spoke and it just so happened that one of the things that I would also tell all the best ever listeners is that real estate is about timing. You can call a guy for years and he's just not ready to sell. And then something bad happens in the building and he's like, and I'm done. And that's it. And if you're not there, you're not going to get that deal. I just so happened to get lucky that we had a horrible winter in the Northeast last year. I mean, just horrendous. And he was like, the amount of the amount of times I'm dealing with snow removal and you know some people slipping and worrying about that. And then he had a fire in some of his units because he had a hoarder in his building. It was just a perfect storm. He's like, I'm done with it. I'm done with being a landlord. 
So when we talked, he actually lit, he actually grew up a block from where my girlfriend's family lives. He told me a lot about his life and we just built a rapport. And I was looking to sell the building, but then I realized maybe this is the deal that I should buy. I mean, it's down the street from Bronxville, New York, you know, one of the most expensive areas in the country, let alone New York. Beautiful building and well-maintained. The guy has no debt on it. He's taking good care of it over the years. So it was really kind of a perfect storm. And I just sat there and I'm like, I, I'm not going to do this for a 4% commission. You know, I, not to sound cocky, but like I already have made some windfalls. So getting this check won't do a lot for me, whereas building, building a portfolio will do a lot for me going forward 10, 20 years down the road. So that's how we got ourselves into the situation. Just uh, some direct mail and a cold call and uh, some luck. I want to ask about the how to sell your apartment building for Smarties direct mail. You said it's like a playbill for people who haven't been to a performance art show. It's, you know, playbill is basically like a pamphlet. Do you mail that out? And you said it's 35 pages. So is that sent just through regular mail? And how many do you print? And can you talk a little bit about that? That's one of the things the camp I've been, I have a coach right now who's a really a master at direct mail and direct response marketing. He's a commercial broker. He does mostly syndication now, but for a long time he was using direct mail and stuff like that. And that's just one of the steps. And let's say um, I send it either PDF. Uh, if I'm literally cold emailing someone, I'll send that as a PDF. Uh, I just got a listing literally on Friday, uh, two listings actually, from a guy who I had been tracking on a foreclosure in, in, in my area. I was the one who first kind of got this on my radar. I started following up with them in July. Only now are they taking title. But I sent them a lot of, made a lot of calls to them. I sent them an email with a PDF attachment of it. And I know that that's kind of, it, it, real estate is a lot of it is you just need to be the top of the mind consciousness and you just need to be the one that shows up. If you're constantly showing up, you're probably going to be successful because so few people do follow up. So few people do make phone calls. But that is a piece that you just send literally in, let's say, kind of like a manila envelope. Uh, it's small. Uh, I'll usually handwrite the address and I'll put a sales letter in there too that just kind of explains who I am, what I do, and uh, what this book is about. It, a lot of the pitches basically, I want to formally introduce myself. I'm the go to guy in this area. I can sell your building for maximum money and minimum time. And, you know, I know I can get you a top offer in five days. And part of my pitch is also, I know that you're probably, probably skeptical about this. But that's the reason I've written this guide to show you that I'm different instead of just constantly telling you. So when they open that and they see this book, it kind of people get a chuckle. They look through it. It has some good information. It's a quick read. I mean, it's quote unquote 35 pages, but these are playbill size. So I don't know what that would be like six by five, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. some big font. Yes. Yeah, lots of spacing, decent font, lots of spacing, some gray shading boxes like you would find in a dummies guide. And it just, it really, it has long staying power and people are like, wow, this looks cool. And it just, it really differentiates yourself from the average guy who just is making a cold call. Like, hey, do you want to sell your building? Most people don't enjoy cold calls. Sending that and then with a follow-up warm-up call, it's a much better situation. I mean, I've sent out a bunch of these with a dollar bill letter attached to it. Um, literally a sales letter, you just attach a dollar bill. I've enclosed a copy of my book and... The first time I did it, I just sent out 20 pieces to see what happened, and I got five phone calls. So 
I don't know if you know the results of direct mail. It's usually not, you know, tw- yeah, it's usually 2%. Yeah. yeah. Not, not 20. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm happy to send that to anyone who wants to take a look at that. If they want to shoot me an email at some point, this is one of those things where 99% of the people who read this or hear this and look at it, they're never going to do anything with it. So I'm happy to share it. So <laughs> I'm not worried. Will you send it to me and then I'll just have a link? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to check it out too. Was that your idea? It was my idea. I had kind of seen guys write certain, um, how do I say, it? like kind of consumer awareness guides for various things. And I'd studied a lot of direct response marketing stuff just in general while I was working my other jobs. And I realized I could apply it to real estate. And one of the things this guy, Dan Kenny, he's like one of the gurus in, in direct marketing. He talked about how he had gotten a top plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. Instead of running ads, he ran ads for his book. The book is like a 100-page sales letter, more or less. It explains all the procedures, but it positions him as the expert and the, the go-to guy. Now when someone calls him, they've already put him kind of on a pedestal, like this is the guy I want to choose to do my work. He's, he's at capacity. He can't take any more patients. So I thought to myself, you know, why not put that together for real estate instead of saying, I know what I'm doing. Okay, show it to me. You know, a lot of, pe- mm-hmm. a lot of people tell, not a, le- a lot of people show. Um, so I decided to just put it together. It took me, I want to say like a week. I paid a guy on Elance 300 bucks. who's now my graphic designer for all my stuff. He did a, an amazing job and we printed it up. It costs like three bucks a book, which sounds like a lot, but if you're looking at the average transaction value in my area is probably two and a half million. If you're getting a 3% commission, you know, you're at $75,000 and that's, not including even if you do a commission split with your broker where he's taking half, you're still getting forty thousand dollars for each close transaction. So, in the broad scheme of things, it's money well spent. You mentioned the equity for the deal was put up by your girlfriend's family. Yep. Was all the equity for the deal from them? Uh, yeah. So the what happened is that a guy who kind of who's become my mentor in the last year. Um, he owns 4,000 units in the New York area, six, $700 million in real estate easy. Uh, and he's been mentoring me a lot. And the reason I met him was my girlfriend's mom was, that was her second job out of law school was his in-house counsel when he was doing converting buildings from uh, rentals to co-ops or condos, landlord and tenant attorney, et cetera. And I realized, I don't know when this was, probably summer 2014, she told me how much she made off their check every month. They had a draw that because they invested in some buildings with this guy in the 70s. And I said, wow, that's a pretty good deal. And I didn't realize when they had invested with him. I said, when did you invest with him? They said 1978. I was like, okay, this number that they were getting every year was a little bit low. But I said, okay, how much did you invest? And she told me (laughs) $70,000. And I said, in 1978, you invested $70,000. And this is what you're getting as a check. I said, I'm not a scientist, but <laughs> this is nonsense. So Nonsense in a good way. Really low compared to what I w- – I mean buildings in New York were selling at 5000 a door back then, 10000 a door maximum. So if you invested $70,000 with someone and they bought a $250,000 building, you owned a third of it. That building today, if it's 60 units, let's say, or 50 units, that building's worth $7.5 million, $8 million. There's no way that they would be making the income they were making compared to what it should be if you get what i'm saying like they were getting paid way too low given their equity stake and the size of the buildings okay so i went through i don't know 
500 pages of uh, contract documents, which is not as fun as it sounds, from the 70s and all the different information on these deals, the partnership agreements, the buildings themselves, the addresses. I went on Property Shark. I ran comps. I looked at the various refinancings that had gone on over the years, and I was like, something is way out of whack here. I presented my findings to my girlfriend's family, her, her mom and her aunt. We all sat down. She set up a meeting with me and this guy. We talked. I think he respected very much that I had him kind of – I don't think he was a dishonest guy. I just think that when you're running 4,000 units, a lot of things get lost in the shuffle. And especially something you had done 40 years ago, you know, you might not be paying as close attention as you would think. So sat with him. We went through the numbers. And over time, we finally came to an agreement as a, at a buyout. And uh, I got them a buyout value of 35 times their income, something around like a 3% cap rate. Hmm. That, wow. And, and he's your mentor now. He's, he, he's been my mentor. He's been, <laughs> and it, but here's the thing. To him, this is truthfully, this is money that he almost walks around with. You know, like, yeah, it was well into seven figures. But I mean, it's not $10 million or $9 million. But I'm just saying that it was a lot of money. But now the fewer partners that he has now that it's a family business, he's getting older. When my, when my girlfriend's mom met him, he was 33. This guy's probably 70 now. So it's kind of like he's looking at the next generation and the fewer partners that are not, you know, blood related, the kind of not the better it is, but the easier it would be in succession kind of uh, terms. He taught me a lot about stuff that it, it's it's one of the things you think, you know, a lot until you meet someone who's just at another level. And you're like, man, I, I guess I don't know much. <laughs> like, like I thought I was really smart. But then I talked to him and it's just. There's certain, there's certain things you can't know if you haven't been doing it for as long as he has, you know, 40, 50 years of running property in New York. You're going to know some what, stuff. What's one example of that? Well, New York has a really onerous and Byzantine regulatory structure on much of their apartment buildings and their housing stock. It's rent regulation. So the rent regulations, they might raise the rents 1% a year. And I just was like, how are you surviving with the way that taxes, water and sewer costs go up? Maintenance costs go up, union super, intendant costs go up, all these different things. And he really taught me the ins and outs of how this system works from things called major capital improvements, how you can raise the rents by doing building-wide improvements, to individual apartment improvements, to how guys in Manhattan use buyouts to get tenants out so they can raise rents dramatically or convert a building to condos, et cetera, et cetera. And that's something that I had read a lot about rent stabilization. I read a lot about all these different rules. But until you, you're talking to someone who practices this every day for decades on end, he has a mastery level that's just it's unattainable unless you're talking to someone like that. You know? And yeah, I could have sat down with an attorney like who knew this stuff, but it's 500 bucks an hour. This guy was free. <laughs> and so you, you, I mentioned the equity with your uh, girlfriend's family, you got them that return, and then they invested a portion of whatever they got into this deal, correct? Yeah, because part of what I was really telling them is that, yeah, I wanted to get paid myself, someone on the deal, but one of the things that I was saying to them is that we can take this money, and even at today's low cap rates, we can recycle this equity and make you double or triple what you're making today. We can buy something from the MLS. We can buy two five families or three five families on the MLS and make you double or triple the income you're making today from these buildings, and you're going to own them yourselves. You know, um, so they were they were very excited about that. So yeah, they took a portion of the money, each of them, the aunt and probably my mother-in-law at some point, 
took a portion of the money for themselves to go spend on what they saw fit. And the rest of it, they invested in this so we could put a deposit down on the building and then we're going to close. Through that, I'm funding the down payment. I'm funding the replacement reserves. I'm funding um, uh, closing costs, everything through that. How are you compensated in this structure? Well, in this structure, it's because I can take this building and this guy already offered me the listing. I know he agreed to a 4% commission and at pricing today, I wouldn't be surprised if I would get myself paid $150,000, $200,000 commission on this deal. What I'm doing is I'm getting him to knock down the price $300,000 on this deal. And it's also an off-market deal. So that's my compensation for kind of packaging it. I called the guy. I built the rapport. I did the due diligence. I had um, my mentor look over the numbers. The guy put together the whole package and I brought it to him and he said, these are real numbers. And I said, yes. And he said, this deal is worth 4.9, not 3.5. And I said, oh, okay. And uh, everyone was excited at that point. And that's my compensation. So I'll be the managing partner. I'm getting my equity stake. And I'm also going to be the property manager because I just took my ARM certification from um, irem.org to be a uh, property manager so I could learn the business. So on this one, you know, my teacher in the class said that running 30 units shouldn't really be uh, a big issue for you. It, it's it's a good thing to start with. You should you should be able to handle it on your own. Some basic property management software, and it's not going to be a problem. And just to make sure, I'm I'm tracking. You said you got them to knock down the price 300k because there's no broker's commission. And is that the check? You're is that essentially like an acquisition fee that you're receiving at closing? Um, no, I'm just I'm just literally we're going to be buying it at a cheaper price. At, okay, at, right. And that's because I'm not taking this deal. Like because I'm having to forego let's say a $200,000 check, but I'm getting them a deal that they otherwise would not get is how I'm buying myself into the deal, if you will. I'm giving- Right, but, but what's your compensate? Like what's, how are you, how, how are you structuring the compensation? Like acquisition fee, what, or what type of no, it's gonna, equity it's, in it's the gonna deal? It's going to be 20% or? equity. Um, that's going to be 20% of cash flow um, or net, or 20% of cash flow after debt service. And I'm also getting the property management fee of 6% of effective gross income. Got it. Okay. I'm with you. Any doing a disposition fee or anything like that? No, I mean, this is a family deal. It's just you had to raise money from friends and family in the beginning from what I've seen. So it's something that I probably could have thrown a tantrum to do. I wasn't going to do that and poison the well when everyone's been so helpful to me. And, you know, simply meeting this guy was worth more than me going to, you know, NYU real estate school kind of thing. Yep. Um, Got it. So I just, I wasn't even considering that. Not to say I'm not going to, you know, be a little bit more aggressive with investors going forward, especially now that I'll have a track record. That was the other reason why I, I was unwilling to do this. Getting my first deal, I know is much more important than what I'm getting paid on this first deal. If this is my complete, only deal. Complete, yep. Completely agree, my friend. Yeah. Real, really quick. And then we got to get into lightning sure. round. Um, the distressed debt fund, can you explain what it is and why you're doing that? Okay, so as of right now, um, maybe not in Cincinnati, but around here, I'm just seeing pricing that I don't care what anyone wants to sell me on, um, telling me why certain deals make sense, they don't make sense. The fact that I talked to a broker last week, uh, a very prominent guy, extremely prominent broker in New York, he just sold 10 units, not even some institutional grade asset. 10 units in Manhattan at 22 times rent roll and a 1.9% cap rate. When I see deals like that, why would I not just buy treasuries? I don't have to deal with tenants. I don't have to do with anything. And the government can print money. So I'm going to guarantee get my income every single year. Um, I'm looking at the pricing and I just think that it's gone to such stratospheric levels 
that I'm also starting to see underwriting slipping. There's a lot more interest-only loans. A lot of guys are floating stuff. Mezzanine debt has made a, uh, a comeback. So I just think that a slight hiccup, rates go up 1%, I think that a lot of guys are going to be in trouble. I think I did some research on for every 1% rise in rates, I think that it's a you need a 10 or 15% increase in NOI to support that refinancing. And I just look at it right now. I just think the market is so frothy. Every deal has multiple offers. If you look at the acquisition, uh, what Sam Zell just sold to Starwood, he sold 23,000 units in suburban tertiary markets, not in Westchester, in not in the New York metro area, not in the Bay Area. He sold them in random areas, and he sold them at five and a half cap. And that's on broker numbers. So let's assume a four and a half cap. Suburban guard style apartments, and you're selling them at four and a half caps. I mean, in 2009, those were selling for 10 caps. So today, I'm just like, I don't really know how much room there is left for prices to go. I mean, if someone's selling stuff at a 1.9% cap rate, right. where's it going yep. to go? So what's the debt fund? So the debt fund is what I'm doing is I've been uh, developing relationships with local community banks and their workout officers. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to plug one thing for someone who's helped me a lot in this kind of thing. It might be interesting. Yeah, of course. A guy by the name of Brecht Palumbo, he runs something called Distress Pro. And he teaches a lot about how to develop relationships with bankers, either to get off-market deals that are REOs directly from them or to develop relationships where you can get listings from them. And uh, he was an auctioneer. He did this during the financial crisis. And I bought some consulting time with him, and he's helped me a lot in developing some relationships with local banks here. So what I'm trying to do is raise money now because when you try to raise money when the distress happens, it's a lot more difficult. The guys who already saw this for coming before, they've already raised their fund. You need to be more aggressive. You need to do it beforehand. And even if people don't want to give you money today, if you're already talking to them about it, when things go bad, they see you as a profit. It's very easy to raise money then. And when did Noah build the ark? Before the storm. Is it an official fund and you're raising money and then it's going to – you're investing it or are you raising it and then waiting to find something? How's, right that, now, how's that work? Uh, right now, it's literally I'm going to just get soft commitments. I've been talking to people. My pitch book should be ready this week for my graphic designer doing layout and stuff like that. Um, and I've just been kind of networking with some high net worth individuals to try to start to get this out there to explain the situation, why I think things are going to go bad and the opportunities – that will be available, especially around here. New York is like the least foreclosure-friendly state in the country. So um, debt was the place that people made their real returns last financial crisis. It'll be the same thing this time. Through this fund, I'm hoping to raise a blind pool and then just be able to purchase notes all cash, complete the foreclosure process, get some money out, wash, rinse, repeat for however long the distress goes on. And then when things stabilize again, refinance, give my investors back all their money plus a preferred return and hopefully hold on to the properties myself. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Please. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. One challenge you might be coming across in your real estate endeavors is finding the funding for your deals. And if so, then there's a creative funding workshop in Nashville, Tennessee, March 4th and 5th, hosted by not one, but two previous best ever guests, Sharon Vornholt and Bill Walston. 
You can check out more information at louisvillegalsrealestateblog.com forward slash creative finance. That's louisvillegalsrealestateblog.com forward slash creative finance. Best ever book you've read? Uh, Mastery by Robert Crane. Best ever personal growth experience and what did you learn from it? Uh, quitting my job when I had no safety net, uh, I sort of burned my boats. It forced me to be really focused, work really hard, and also helped me develop a thick skin because people told me I was an idiot for doing it. Best ever deal you've done? Getting my girlfriend's family a buyout at 35 times annual income. Best ever way you like to give back? I like to post as much as I can on bigger pockets. I see a lot of guys selling five, ten thousand $10,000 programs that I think that I can direct people to resources for $15 or I can give the information myself. So that's how I like to help, you know, burgeoning, you know, real estate uh, investors. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Uh, tough one. Um, so many. <laughs> I think that uh, getting ahead of myself, I was frustrated a couple years ago saying, why can't I raise money to do these deals? And why am I not here? And what have you? I think I just didn't know what I didn't know. And I think that uh, people need to have patience and take time with this business because there's a lot to learn. And what's the best ever place the best ever listeners can reach you? Uh, sure. Uh, you can reach me at uh, my best way is my email. If you'd like to invest, you want to buy some property in New York or simply to talk shop, it's uh, jjowley at multifamilyny.com. That's J-J-A-O-U-L-I at multifamilyny.com. Josh, thank you for being on the show and sharing your advice and your career progression with the best ever listeners from the 30 unit deal that's going to close this summer where you found it through a very unique and value add approach with direct mail. Thanks for sharing the guide with us too. And best ever listeners, you can just um, look at the link in the show notes and um, check out that guide that Josh has shared with us, as well as the financing or the equity portion of it through creating the value for your girlfriend's family after doing a lot of research and having that conversation with not only them, but then also the gentleman who is now your mentor who owns over 4,000 units in the New York area. And then build, being able to build that relationship, there, there's something special about being able to navigate that conversation so that it's a win-win-win for all three parties and the relationship grows stronger afterwards which is even more impressive. I think that's probably the most impressive thing uh, whenever I listen to your story. I mean, the direct mail piece is really creative. The equity through your girlfriend's family by creating that value is impressive and it shows a glimpse into your character, but really the savviness that you have to have that conversation, do the due diligence and the research and then have that conversation and walk away having a stronger relationship with everybody. That's, the, I think, the most important in my eyes. And very impressive conversation, very impressive story. Thank you for being on the show and sharing your advice. And uh, hope you have the best ever day. Thank you very much, Joe. And uh, thanks to the best ever listeners. And um, yeah, this is a great podcast. And I'm really, really honored to have been here. Hope to talk to you soon again. Did you achieve all your real estate goals in 2015? Well, if you did, congratulations. Fist bump to you. If you didn't, then go to coachwithtrevor.com. Trevor McGregor is my business coach, my real estate coach. He's also been a guest on the show, episode 320. He is offering a free coaching session for the best ever listeners. Just go to coachwithtrevor.com and it'll help you to achieve your real estate goals in 2016.